Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, host of The Big Picture. Did you just see the latest tentpole blockbuster? Or a surprisingly fun new movie on a streaming service? Or maybe you just want to bone up on the greatest films ever made? From reviews to rankings, career retrospectives to movie drafts, and everything in between, The Big Picture is here for you. Listen to The Big Picture for free on Spotify. So what's What's going going on with you? You got got a movie? I got a movie. Which I watched on my iPad, um, which made me laugh. Called The House, which I'm going to get out of the way. Yeah, let's get it out of the way now. Right? Yeah. Funny movie. Yeah. (laughs) Myself, Amy Poehler. Yeah. Jason Manzoukas. We are a, uh, a couple who is trying to finance our daughter's college education by running an illegal casino. Yes. In the neighborhood. It's, Who wouldn't want to see that? I, it had a lot of things I like. Gambling, <laughs> chicanery. Chicanery. You know, who yeah. wrote the movie? Uh, a uh, bunch of people. Andrew Cohen and Brennan O'Brien. Because there were a couple parents. They were the guys who wrote, the, wrote Neighbors. Because there was a couple hidden parent things that I really enjoyed oh, right. about the daughter going away to college right. and they, they were like, let's put her in a sandwich and yeah, yeah, watching oh, The yeah. Walking Dead. Like that's all stuff we I wanted, identify with. We definitely wanted to build up the fact that, you know, we were a tight knit family and, it and actually have it be, dare I say, sweet. Yes. And, uh, and the moment at the, the, we, you know, we do a scene at the movie where we literally, we go through all this crazy stuff and we finally, it's the day where we drop her off at college. And Amy, it was a legitimate acting scene for Amy and I to, to come to grips with saying goodbye to our daughter, but also yeah. realizing that we, we aren't going to be alone, that we are each other's best friends. And, and it, we, were, we were like literally crying that day yeah. at beautiful Long Beach State, <laughs> doubling for Bucknell University. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Bucknell so getting yeah. Patriot League, getting some props, Get, getting some a lot of bison, Bucknell love the might drive the, drive the admissions oh, up. Buck, they will see such a spike <laughs> this fall. <laughs> so, all right, let's go backwards. Okay, backwards. The uh, we we were talking about the NBA Finals. Anyway, you it's your show. First. It's no, your show. Let's do that first. Let's do that first. You're, you're a diehard Laker fan. Yeah, and you're asking me if I've been into any final games. And I get, I'm, I'm in a wonderful position where I get these yeah. these invites yeah. to come fly up and come to one of the state, you know, one yeah. of the games up at Golden State. And, and any other rabid normal sports fan would be like, of course, I'm going in a heartbeat. But then I always feel, I'm like, okay, but I'm not going to wear a Golden State swag. You're not wearing the yellow T-shirt that's gonna, on the uh, seat. You know, going crazy. Yeah, I, I'd be there for enjoying these two teams and these great athletes and this back and forth. But I feel slightly disingenuous, uh, uh, only because, yeah. And you're a I'm a Laker you, fan. You're a lifelong so, Laker fan. Lifelong since I can remember watching the Lakers on KHJ Channel Nine. Yeah. <laughs> with, like, Sweet Lou Hudson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fasting to Kareem, yeah. Before I think is even before they had Jamal Wilkes, yeah. And like, uh, and they would kind of you know, Kareem would score all these points and they'd barely make it into the playoffs and lose to the Denver Nuggets and yeah. Dan Issel in the first round. He would have like yeah. thirty nine points a yeah. game and they but would still no lose. one else could score. Well, they traded everybody to get him. That's what that was yeah. the problem. Yeah, yeah. It was it's a bad move to so, go to a new team that has I'm, to trade everyone to get you. 
I'm a legit born and raised in Southern California, you know. So no, my answer to so question who was, your favorite I Laker? To, I didn't go to any of the finals. Who was your favorite Laker then? I'm gonna. It depends on the type of play. I mean, overall, overall, I'm gonna go yeah. with Magic. Okay, that's the right answer. Eccentric choice. Yeah. Like so Kurt, wild card. Kurt Rambis. <laughs> I just loved that 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 this guy with the glasses yeah. could actually play ball. Right. Like obviously he was a thug and and he came in to kind of be the enforcer, but. If you left him open in the corner, he'd actually hit, knock down a 15-foot shot. And, and he could fill and, the lane. And readjust his glasses. Yeah, right. readjust his glasses on the break and fill the lane. Like, that's a cool player. They always talk about the technology and the advances with, like, dieting and surgeries yeah. and stuff. They never yeah. talk about glasses. <laughs> Poor Ramos had to wear, like, these old-school Buddy Holly glasses. You know it was superstition, probably. He probably was like, I'm good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't play without... They're like, Kurt, here are contact lenses. Here, it's like, con- no. no, no way. Yeah. Yeah. So uh So Magic's now running the Lakers. With he Rob Palenka, Kobe's agent. Right. What do we think? A lot how, of weirdness how, what, going how, on. How, here. What do we think about that? How do we feel? I think I think Kobe's agent is a smart dude who's gonna do a good yeah. job. I think that guy's pretty shrewd. I mean he convinced them to give Kobe twenty five million dollars a year <laughs> when he was like completely washed <laughs> up. <laughs> That's pretty that was pretty smart. I know. That was such a bizarre year that year. One time I was with you, I'm going to say, we ran into each other at a Kings game. I'm going to say like three or four years ago. With your kids? I was with my kids. And you started doing a Kobe impersonation and I was dying. I I was? I would make you do it again, but I can't even remember what you were impersonating. I don't remember what I, yeah. It was, it was, I think there was some sort of argument at that point about whether he was being a... you know, he's shooting a lot and he was past his prime and about him yelling at the, oh. about him being a role model for the younger players yeah. or something. But, yeah. but you must've met Kobe a bunch of times, right? I, well, he came and he did a cameo in daddy's home mm. movie I did with Mark Wahlberg where he, oh, like, like I, I have a 12 year old and nine year old. Like I haven't, daddy's home hasn't been out of my house on, like 20 times. You never know. I always like to preface. No. Uh, but no, he came on and there was such a feeling of like, it was like, Kobe can only shoot for an hour and da, 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 and he'd be ready. And the director was like, I know you're not in the part of the scene with him, but would you come and be on the yeah. court at the same time? Anyway, I was late getting there because they were, they, they didn't tell me that he had gotten onto the, the court yet. And they're like, wait, Kobe's there. Oh, let me go, you know, make sure. And apparently, you know, he was, he could not have been nice. He stayed like as long as they wanted and, he was, he was great. Of course, that was the game where he tore his rotator cuff. Oh no! <laughs> against New Orleans. So, oh god. Um, but uh, and still play. Oh, that's of right. You filmed that whole movie in yeah. New Orleans. Yeah. There was even uh, an extended Pelican scene. I mean, in yeah. the arena. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that's the scene that got put on YouTube that people thought I literally was drunk and had run into the. Oh, they crowd. thought it was Will Ferrell oh, yeah, as a they, drunk person? It's people had, who, extras who were in the crowd had posted, uh, had, were filming it. Mm. It got on YouTube and all of a sudden there was this huge thing like, people like Will Ferrell, like, He's he got should a be thrown in jail. He's got a problem. <laughs> I never liked him from the beginning. This just confirms it. How dare these people think they can run on the court at halftime of an NBA game and peg a cheerleader in the face with a ball. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's for yeah. a movie. Yeah. 
What do you think for, I mean, Netflix and all the streaming services have just completely changed the rewatchability of movies for kids in that. Yeah. Like I have a 12 and a nine. Right. I, I sound like, you know, you, you got a 12 and a nine. Yeah. It's like what they I got a 13, a 10 and a seven. <laughs> Remember when announcers just stopped saying injuries. They would just say the body part. He's out with the leg. He'll be back later. Now, now I just say the numbers, but yeah. So, or in, I mean, ho- they watch or in hockey, lower body, lower injury. body. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like the problem for like, when you do something like daddy's home yeah, and they, and iTunes is just an evil beast. They'll do the buy it now before it becomes yeah. available for rent for like right. a week. Right. And kids don't understand money. I mean, I, I mean, it's like a $10. No. Like, yeah. it. It's available now. Yeah. Buy it now. It's yeah. like, well, let's wait a week. Yeah. We'll rent it. No, yeah. no, we're yeah. buying yeah. it. Yeah. And then they watch it like 12 times. So and, yeah, and they're intimately familiar with daddy's and home. And are you finding they're watching it the whole way through or are they just sampling? No, it's on. Yeah. It's on. The, the movies... Because I'm curious if people are going to start watching movies the way they listen to music. Just scenes? Just scenes. Well, I think Step Brothers is probably guilty of that, right? Because there's some probably. of the YouTube scenes, there's yeah. just like crazy amount of yeah. views. I think they'll all, you know, anyone can dice up any of this stuff now and figure out what chunks they like. Step Brothers was your lost great comedy. I talked to Adam McKay about this because right. it's had this resurgence the last three yeah. years. And I was like, as I asked him, like, why do you think, why was this like a belated, now it's to the yeah. point it's at, why didn't that happen at the time? And he was like, probably some fatigue. Like you had done a lot of comedies, right? You'd put out eight straight years of, of comedies yeah. at that point. That was the only explanation we could come oh, up really? with. I don't know. What do you think it was? Why Why did that take five years to become this? Now it's like a staple. I feel like that's one of the defining comedies the last 10 years. I I mean, we've, Adam and I have discussed how there's always been a bounce with any of these movies, though. But Yeah, Anchorman was probably the biggest he, one, right? He, Yeah, because it's happened with even, and Anchorman, same sort of deal. It was like once it got out two years later and they do those insane Turner runs, where right. they run it a bunch. Yeah. And there's this whole second wave. Yeah. And then um, obviously when DVD was huge, uh, but it happened even for like a movie that, you know, like even Talladega Nights that had a massive theatrical existence. Yeah. There were still, it, it still kind of had the second bounce. Um, but I, I think Step Brothers was more acute because. So we got some of the more punishing reviews that we ever had, and it might have kept people away. Really? One of which is the best. You need to look up the uh, Roger Ebert review of Step Brothers. He was upset about it? It's cra- Not only is he upset, he lobbies his readers to not watch it, to not buy it when it goes on DVD, to not encourage studios to, to keep creating movies like this. Yeah. To, uh, because it's literally the fall of Western civilization. The fact that this type of behavior keeps, you know, getting, uh, uh, supported. Uh Oh, AC went on. Uh, (laughs) that's Roger Ebert. (laughs) Ebert's coming to shut this whole thing down. That was spooky. Jesus. Uh, but, uh, it was, that seems like an overreaction. It was, it was an amazingly, he, 
yeah, he got really spun out. Did that hurt that your movie. feelings? No, because we we when the movie plays well and um and you know does well, you kind of actually love those. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> they're really fun to read later. Right. Um, and uh, uh, but yeah, that that. That one I had kinda, a, it kind of keeps growing. I don't know. Yeah. I had a, you know, the parent dilemma is, do you let them watch the version they shouldn't watch? Right. Or do you let them watch the TNT Comedy Central yeah. with the bleeps and all that stuff? Or the weirdest one I stumbled across was a version on Lifetime. They aired Step Brothers on Lifetime. Oh my God. And I was watching it with my wife and my 13 year old. We're in some hotel room on a trip somewhere and we're flipping around. We're like lifetime, what stepbrothers. And they yeah. had literally made it lifetime friendly. Yeah. Either by bleeping language or yeah. And we were just laughing going, Oh, this is an amazing version. I decided to go unedited with my son. Cause okay. he's he de- degenerate. Like I can't stop it at this point. He's going to find it either way. And it hit his funny bone. Like I've never seen a comedy. I was, I was really pleased and happy yeah. and I am a terrible father, but, um, the drum set scene, it's the whole funny. thing. I mean, it's just the irony that we're talking about it today. I literally, my assistant today dropped off. Um, what are those cases called that you, you know, you get a bla- a, a plastic case made for memorabilia. You either put a baseball in it. Or, oh yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. There's a name for it. Yeah. I can't remember. We can research this. You can have the automated voice come in later and yeah, go. Yeah. But she just, ha- today she's like, how does this look? And she, we made a special display case for my prosthetic testicles that I used in oh. the movie, which is my one keepsake from that movie. That's very smart. Yes. It's a good one to keep. So Brennan's ball sack <laughs> so, is the plaque. <laughs> so when they're making prosthetic $10, testicles. $10,000 worth of prosthetic balls. I was going to say, yeah. is that a lot of trial and error? I, Are you deciding I, whether the balls look good? There enough? were a couple. There were a couple. Ver- yeah, I think there was just. I'm trying to remember because I've had two instances with prosthetics. <laughs> what was the other one? Uh, get hard, where I had to sh- show a prosthetic penis, mm. or Matt Walsh did. Yeah. Um, and we had a couple meetings on how that penis looked. <laughs> the balls. I feel like it was a home run right out of the. Right out of the <laughs> it was just like the first time I saw it. I'm like, yep. Those will work great. Which which movie? <laughs> if you had to pick your favorite of all the movies, um, oh, but I was going to say back to your point about yeah. what why movies have the second and subsequently, which we can't figure out why Anchorman Two isn't mentioned. I don't get anyone coming up talking about Anchorman. It's going to happen. It'll happen. But we figured out it's because Paramount. I think they. I think their little subsidiary cable thing they own is Epics. It doesn't, I'm, I'm it like doesn't one of the show, five Epic subscribers. Exactly. Yeah. And so it it repeats on Epics, which it no one has. That and Creed. Yeah. It's it's just Creed so and no Anchorman Two. Just that second. Yeah. Viewing of Anchorman Two. It'll happen. It'll happen. It's it's In like sometimes it's like wine. You just don't know what year the what year is going to be the right year to drink that it. That movie's good enough to be mentioned again. Um, yeah. I'm with you. I think. So what's your favorite one of all of them? What's if if you're counting them as all of your children? The uh, all of the chill. Um, what's what's the, like the, the A list student of them? The, the the one that stands out as the favorite, and it's a hard choice. Um, is 
uh, Anchorman because of the journey that it took. Right. And and it's it's kind of the Cinderella story of the the movie no one wanted to make. And is that true? Yeah, yeah. We we literally had uh, Adam and I talk about this all the time that we had. I think 10 rejections in one day of people wanting to make, <laughs> we even had, if you notice, if you notice David, David, David o. Russell is a producer on the first Anchorman, partly because he was just, we had kind of struck up a friendship with him yeah. at that time. And he was like, this is, why doesn't anyone want to make this? Look, I'll be a producer on it. And he even tried to get people. And we just literally, um, in fact, there was a, what was the company? There was a financier. We even did a read through for them and we filled the room and we got, uh, I think John C. Riley was even in the read through. We got a bunch of great actors to do it. And this guy who runs, uh, uh, he was kind of the CFO of the company. It was Arnon Milshan's film company. Um, I don't know who that he's is. He's this Israeli arms dealer though. who also had did films. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and the guy was like, Oh, that was the funniest read-through I have ever sat through. But we can't make the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. They had already determined that, for whatever reasons, the, the, they just weren't going to make any money off that subject matter. Uh, and it took... It was stuck at DreamWorks, and it took old school coming out and being a hit, and DreamWorks realizing uh, they had Anchorman to all of a sudden be like, wait a minute, what about this... <laughs> Right. We'll make this. And we're like, okay. Uh, so the fact that it had, it, you know, it was kind of three years. And, uh, and then even once we were shooting it, we, were, we felt like we were playing with the house's money. We were just like, I don't know if this will work. And McKay had never directed before, right? right? That's first time directing. And strike. we were just like trying the most bizarre stuff. And, and, and even then, even in the testing that, that, that you do in the movie, it, it, it kind of had a bizarre audience was once again some people got it right away other people were like other people were just reacting in such a they didn't know what they were watching <laughs> we also had to reshoot the ending so all of those things uh and and to go to kind of walk through that fire uh and to have it be what it's come out to be was that's, sometimes it's that's just on for a month straight yeah. It'll be like a TNT run or TBS <laughs> right. run, then it's right. on HBO, and then all of a sudden AMC or wherever, and it's just it's just We on. even had one of the marketing people at the studio at that time say to other members of the press, oh, don't you don't even have to watch it. It's not that good. <laughs> we found out Jesus. later. <laughs> yeah, and and I had I had a buddy of mine who who witnessed a fight in a theater breakout, like a verbal fight where yeah. where uh the movie was in its end credits and someone yelled at the screen, Will Ferrell, I want my money back. And someone went, screw you. That movie's great. Like, what are you talking about? It's a piece of shit. What? Who are you talking to? Huh? Uh, uh. I was like, who fight? It's like this stupid <laughs> comedy. So um, Anchorman's number one. Uh, all the movies I've done with Adam, or that, those are always... That's such a special I, and thing. And you guys have like 20 years now? Yeah. Going back to SNL? 1995, yeah. When he used to pop out of the audience in the monologue? Yeah, Adam. exactly. Good. He was good, good on He was great. He was always, he was always great.
When did you decide that, at what point during the SNL experience did you decide you wanted to do a movie, a potential movie with him or that that would even make sense? I had, uh, I had like a weird deal coming off of doing one of those SNL movies, uh, doing the rocks night at the Roxbury. Don't seem sad about night I, at the I'm Roxbury. Not, I'm not it's, sad. I'm okay, just saying. All right. Yeah. It's, I'm not. I'm a defender. I'm not okay, going to. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. All right. I am pleasantly surprised. Good. At how that has grown into a beautiful it's, oak, it's oak tree. solid, <laughs> solid oak, <laughs> a California oak. Um, but I had, I had, I owed them two more movies that I had to either be in, or it was <laughs> it's a like great you owe deal. Drugs, yeah, yeah, yeah. I owe you two more movies, <laughs> man. Uh, and I said to McKay, I'm like, because we were getting to know each other, we're writing sketches, and I'm like, would you ever want to write a? Uh, a feature together. He's like, yeah. He's like, you yeah. mean like a character from the show? I'm like, no. Yeah. There's something completely different. But that right? was the '90s. That's what people did. You yeah. had a character. You wrote the movie. I'm like, no. Let's 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 uh, let's make a lemonade out of lemons here, and let's just write something totally different. So we sat down and on spec wrote this script called August Blowout that was never made, uh, but it was kind of it was like a Glen Gary Glen Ross meets a car car dealership, and it was kind of. Uh, it was just kind of going back to those comedies that we had grown up on. Right. Caddy, oh, like used cars and, and, yeah, uh, that and, whole and just where you had big, funny ensemble cast. Yeah. And it wasn't this one single funny person and everyone is a straight man and just reacts. Uh, we thought, let's just get a bunch of people being funny at the same time. And so we wrote it and we went through Lauren, My Lauren Michaels really liked it. He liked that it was such a different move. It was going to be an R-rated comedy. But once again, it would... No one wanted to make it. Uh, it was stuck at Paramount, and the regime at that time just. So does that mean the movie goes away, or it could still it make just, it? Just they won't put it in turnaround. They wouldn't give it to other places. But it became this script that everyone read in Hollywood was like, uh, "Why won't you? Why won't they make that?" Or like, they won't, and they won't put it in turnaround. And so that was our. But that was our first experience of just being in a room, having the best time, just kind of. That that sounds like yeah. every terrible Hollywood story it that does. everyone has like three of. That's why it's yeah. it's incredibly cliche and it's um and it's. But couldn't you just take that script now and go to Netflix and be like, here guys, and they'd be like, oh, here's we could. 50 but million we've bucks. now pilfered so many moves from it. It would just seem, oh yeah. You pick the carcass. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it would be. Grab the liver. That kidney. would be Ebert's review. This is a carcass. <laughs> this is the picked over carcass of a movie. Not even. The toes were left. <laughs> this is this might as well be dust. Uh, so, so then you did old school without him. We we wrote that. Uh, I went and did old school. Shot it during my last season of SNL. Did you know old school was going to be big? No, no in idea. In fact, they it was supposed to come out in November, and they held on to it till february yeah uh which is usually not a great sign um but in hindsight they were right they didn't want to, it was actually supposed to open up against eight mile at the m&m oh. vehicle which i think it did well crushed yeah. yeah and then we paul thomas anderson came and guest wrote for a week on snl i remember seth myers talked about this yeah. once on my podcast and he came and uh, bizarre he like loved the show. He wanted to see kind of the mechanism of how, you know, we do things. And I think he, maybe it was two weeks, maybe it was back to back weeks. 
And he sat down with us and he's like, I just, once again, he's like, I read that August blowout. He's like, what if you guys wrote whatever you wanted to write and I would shepherd it for you and, uh, and you know, kind of figure out how to make it. We're like, we'd do it. Yeah. We'd do it in a heartbeat and we'd write it on spec. And so that's when we wrote Anchorman. And, uh, oh, so he was one of the guardian so he angels. He was one of the one? guardian angels, even hmm. though. I think the first incarnation of that was maybe a little too weird for Paul. <laughs> that, that's saying something. He made Magnolia. Yeah, I know. Was he the one who introduced you to John C. Riley? You know, did Adam ever tell you the first version of Anchorman? No. The first version so. of Anchorman is basically the movie Alive. We're all, it's the year is 1976. Yeah. And we are flying to Philadelphia for to celebrate the bicentennial and also all the newsmen from around the country are flying in from their affiliates to have some big convention yeah and ron convinces the pilot that he knows how to fly the charter jet oh no and he uh immediately crash crash lands it in the mountains (laughs) and it's just the story of them surviving and trying to get off the mountainside while part of the they 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 clipped a cargo plane that's what caused them and the cargo plane crashed as well close to them and it was carrying only boxes of orangutans <laughs> and chinese throwing stars so throughout the movie we're being stalked by har- orangutans who are killing one by one the team off with throwing stars oh my god and veronica corningstone just like keeps saying things like guys i know that if we just head down, we'll hit civilization. And we keep telling her wrong. She doesn't know what we're talking about. Um, anyway, so that was the first version of the movie. And it was, it was in Paul's defense. It was kind of too, too weird. Cookie. Still too kooky. Mm. So. Um, all right. Back to, back to I SNL. I feel like I'm talking way too much. Well, it's, you're the guest on a okay. podcast. That, that's, that's what I'm how, supposed to do, That's right? how it works. Yeah. All right. Good. How does, John C. Riley wasn't in Anchorman, right? He wasn't. He'd have like he, a conflict of scheduling conflict. He'd have a conflict with Martin Scorsese. Oh, well, yeah. That's a good conflict. <laughs> yeah. A little movie called Gangs of New York. Yeah. So uh, we were like, we got it. But that's why we'd circled back to him for Talladega. Yeah. And then eventually. And then eventually. Step Brothers. Step Brothers. All right. So going right. back. Yeah. SNL, you show up. <clears throat> it's the year after the season. That I mean, this happens like every decade. With Saturday SNL. Night Dead. Yeah, Chris Smith from New York Mag- New York Magazine yeah. goes in. That was not a great season. I mean, it definitely. Yeah. I always feel like SNL when it's got the individual stars that aren't like the glue guy cast members. If they don't, if the balance is off, you end up with a season like that one where you have right. great big personalities, but it's not a sketch show. Um, so your season comes, and I actually remember where I watched the first episode. I had no idea who you were. Sure. Pre-internet. What was it? Right. 95? Yeah. No YouTube yet. Right. People showed up at SNL and you're like, who's that? Right. You just don't know. Yeah. And you did Get Off the Shed. Right. You did the the Merrill Hemingway. Uh, <laughs> you keep interrupting her on the yeah, phone. Yeah, exactly. Which right, was, right, right. Good Which good is a memory. great one. Yeah. And then one other one. And yeah. I was like, that, buying stock. That guy. Wow. Uh, that guy. Okay. I don't know. That guy's something. He's yeah. going to. Yeah. But so to get out the shit guy, that was a character that you had had in yeah, the past, right? I had done, uh, I had written a sketch with another uh, friend of mine at the Groundlings here in LA. 
Yeah, basically about two suburban dads who are just having this benign conversation in the backyard (laughs) at the barbecue. And for whatever reason, they're obsessed about these off-camera children playing on a shed. (laughs) Whatever. I guess it's a lawnmower shed. I don't even know what it is. But we never see it. It's never clear. (laughs) And that keeps escalating. And they keep returning back to their benign conversation. Right. So... uh, I auditioned with that. I auditioned with oh, a monologue smart. version of that uh, and then put it into sketch form to do it on the first show. So yeah, so I was I was the first sketch of our cast, uh, of that new cast for that first show. Nervous? Of that season. Not nervous at first because if you've ever been to have you ever been yeah you've been right so you you, you have the dress rehearsal right so you bang out some of the nerves. To 10, which feels exactly like the real show got through that it's like oh this is gonna be a piece of cake yeah and then we were gosh 95 so we were still doing oj sketches oh yeah yeah and norm was on weekend update right and so i was the f- once again, in the cold open, we did some sort of OJ sketch, and I was playing a news anchor that began the sketch. So I was going to be the first thing, on, first person on camera, basically. Yeah. And I'm sitting out there, and they, they count it down, and Lauren Michaels walks by. He's like, no pressure, but the whole show's riding on you. And uh, <laughs> which he meant it to be funny, and I took it as very funny, and it, it totally cracked me up. But then as I'm sitting there, I look out in the audience, I'm like, there's my mom. There's her friend, Roberta. Yeah. (laughs) There's my brother. There's, and all of a sudden it starts in that one moment, uh, adding up that, wow, I'm actually going to be live on Saturday Night Live. This thing I've thought about, dreamed about, whatever you want to say. And it comes up and I had just a simple like four line exchange and I totally flubbed the first line. So if you watch that first show, I flub. The first time I ever speak on SNL, I totally flub. And uh, and then you got... And then and then he came back and I was, we were getting ready for the get off the shed set. And he was like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah I'm fine. I'm fine. And then I was fine from that point on. But that was my one... Uh, yeah. That was a good season. <laughs> that you know, was, they yeah, showed, we um, slowly found our way. Yeah. Chris Cornell died uh, yeah. like a month and a half ago and they reran the Jim Carrey episode, which... I think it's in the conversation. I, there's no greatest SNL episode ever, no. but I think there's probably like 15 or 20 that are just but at a higher level. Jim came on. That was a great. He's at his apex. Yeah. And, we, and he jumps in and does things. Night at the Roxbury with yep. you guys. And his head is going in seven yeah, different directions. And, and we did a cheerleaders the yeah, with him. Oh, my we God. Did the, the, yeah, every, he was just amazing in every single thing. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Out of all the people who weren't actually on the show, he's... Got to be one of the people. Well, I mean, he kind of was in, in and, Living Color, so it's you know, cheating. But Lauren has this ceremonial Tuesday night dinner. Yeah, where, which is odd because Tuesday night's the night you write right. all the sketches. You're supposed you stay to stay up till five in the morning, and then you get tapped on the shoulder to go to the dinner, which you're like, oh, cool, I get to go to the dinner with the host, but it's right in the middle of your writing, so you're like, ah. but I remember he literally said to Jim Carrey, "Well, you're one of the few people I can't take credit for." Like I, I totally passed on you because <laughs> he did. Oh, wow. Jim auditioned and remembered it. And Jim was like, yep. <laughs> and that's all they said. Uh, 
but yeah, he's kind of he's he's one of those those guys who can kind of step in and do whatever. Seth Seth always said those were the the greatest guys for the show. It like was such a relief for everybody when yeah. you had somebody who could just do anything, a host that you wouldn't have to. I think cheat that, with at all. but then I, the, you you can't underestimate the Steve Buscemi's of the world. The, those actors that would come in and also just they weren't worried about being funny. Yeah. So subsequently they became so funny because they would just commit to whatever the premise and whatever the character was. And they ended up having amazing shows. Yeah. They were like, oh yeah, just I'll play this one little thing or I'll be the big thing. But um, anytime there was like a legit dramatic actor, like Billy Bob Thornton, I remember we had an amazing show with him. And I remember uh, that. Uh, uh, you never know. That's yeah, one of the best know. things yeah. about SNL. Yeah. I remember yeah. uh, Ariana Grande was really good, and that oh, surprised I didn't watch me. It. Yeah. it was a couple years ago. Yeah, I was like, yeah, wow, you just yeah. sometimes people you and don't subsequently, expect. Subsequently, Tom Hanks, one of the greatest yeah. hosts of all time, we wrote like such a terrible show for him. Uh, but anyway, and and he just he's Tom Hanks. He walked off. Doesn't he's, he's like fuck. He didn't you even guys. complete the show. <laughs> he left halfway. What <laughs> out of all the sketches? Which one do you think? What killed the? What was the all-time kill of all the sketches that you had? The one that just the all-time home run, the Aaron Judge five hundred foot homer. Aaron Judge, by the way, that guy's crazy, right? It's it makes me so mad. I thought we buried the Yankees. I thought no. it was over, and now and they now have six back. foot six Aaron Judge hitting five hundred foot home runs. He's like he and he's chiseled out of stone. Yeah, it's like where how the it's like the natural looking man. It's so upsetting. What it's June fourteenth, and he yeah, already has twenty two or something. Yeah, his, his, his rookie card is fifteen hundred dollars somehow. His autographed <laughs> somehow. refractor rookie card on Bowman. Oh my god. Yeah. Um. That's a hard. I'm trying to remember. Well, they're they're just weird flashes. Yeah. I remember the first time in that first season we were on, where the audience went berserk. And it it was, it was uh, it was Molly Shannon when she first did the Mary Catherine Gallagher sketch. Oh, really? To watch a female do physical comedy like that, the audience not only were they gasped, but there were shrieks. They were the combination of how um, intensely studied that character was, and how small it was at, at the same time, and yeah. And, uh, Smell so, in the armpits. so well observed yeah and nervous and really if you think about it, a quiet character and then exploding into all this madness i was like oh i've never heard anything like that that was a moment there's a moment once again in that first year a mckay sketch uh the sketch wake up and smile one of my all-timers when I lift the severed head, David Allen Greer, the weatherman is were, dead. Those were shrieks. I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> Did okay. you guys ever see that one? Yeah, it's a it's a top seven. The weatherman. See, is I got dead. young guys. Yeah. These, these guys were like babies when this happened. Uh, that was a, a classic. The weatherman is dead. Uh, I will say my personal my personal then, favorite with you was the Sarah Michelle Gellar one with the the family eating dinner. Just because oh, of the, yeah, yeah. the silences was, yeah. of it, and just yeah. like the audience didn't know what was going yeah. on, like that one unfolded about as well as Dodge Stratus. Go. Yeah, Dodge Stratus. Let's look at Dodge Stratus. Yep. No, that was a great one. And she was really good in that one she too. She was amazing. And then I wrote another one with Amy and Gwyneth Paltrow, and I think that yeah. went really well too. 
another sketch that just was the first time I did Harry Carey with uh, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. We had a show about space. That I just took my time with that. And Jeff Goldblum, like people think he's breaking in the sketch, but he's not. He's actually just doing amazing acting, reacting to the audience like who he's playing it very real as 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 if am i supposed to laugh at this guy right. is he really an expert on science he played it like a scientist who didn't know who harry carey was uh what about cowbell uh, what was the reaction cowbell, for cowbell in, in the studio cowbell was pretty huge too but i think it wasn't as huge in dress as it was on air yeah um yeah which that was a sketch that i put up and didn't really get picked and then I resubmitted it and rewrote it for Christopher Walken and then and then that was then it. it worked. Yeah. Yeah. So that get that's in the that always gets mentioned in the uh greatest sketches ever conversation. It's got a lot of elements to it. It's got Walken's like out of his mind in it. You're great in it. It's so funny. People fu- are cracking it's up in funny it. I can't help it. And Lauren <laughs> was like Apparently in the room where they picked the sketches, he was like, is that a thing? Is the cowbell a thing in that song? Is that a thing people talk about? And I had to go like, no, no one talks about it. Not one person. Every time I listen to Don't Fear the Reaper, I just hear the cowbell, and I was just driving the car going, what's that guy's life? (laughs) What's his moment of greatness? What Did he ever speak up and... yeah. So then I wrote that, yeah. Was it hard for you to think about leaving or the movies? Do you feel like there's a shelf life? What was, was the process? Not, it was not hard, but I I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say it was easy because, yeah. you know, it was, uh, it just kind of felt like you, you kind of have to just pick your moment of like, you know, I... I don't begrudge anyone for staying there as long as they want to stay. Yeah. At the same time, if you uh, if you feel like you want to do other things, you kind of have to just take a flying leap, which is, you know, old school was in the can, but no one really knew uh, if that was going to do anything. And uh, the only other thing I had kind of quasi in development was a really bad script about a guy who was raised by elves at the North Pole and was like, okay, this could work. Yeah. I see the poster. Um, Yet another one that's been watched by yeah. every child under the age of 13. But that's, that's all. I, it's not like I had this, uh, you know, you, you leave us and everyone talks about like, God, what a great launching pad. I'm like, not really. It's, it's yeah. like a whole, you, you have to re-enter kind of entertainment society, even though you, whatever work you may do, because it's like dog years, you, you forget it's late night TV. It's not like the cast of Friends where yeah. you're on prime time and they know every single thing about you. Yes. Yeah. It went from like, where do I know you? To wait, cheerleader guy. Yeah. To George Bush guy. I love you on Saturday Night Live. To George Bush guy. To Will Ferrell. It took seven years just to even get name recognition. Yeah, um, you have a couple years where you become Saturday Night Live's Will Ferrell. Yeah. And that's just your entire name. Now, I'm so thankful for, for it at the same time because it just allowed you to not 
have anything happen too fast. And well, you also had an abnormally great writing staff when you yeah, showed we up. Had, we had such. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those people have gone on to big things. Yeah, you know, which and we had a fun. We had a fun group who uh, who wasn't. I mean, I, I really think it was it was a group of comedic actors who. Right. Not to sound corny, but we got thrown into it at a time where we would joke like, well, we're either going to make it through this year or we'll be the last cast <laughs> of the show. Yeah. And they'll just pull the plug. Uh, so to kind of be galvanized in that way. Well, what's interesting about that is the the first Phil Hartman cast was in the exact same, same situation. Exactly. Yeah. This, and they, is, this could be it. And they were, that was another legendary cast. Um Hartman's, I mean, I would say, even though you're different than Hartman, but the role you filled on the show is very similar oh, to what he was doing. Phil Hartman and Dan Aykroyd were my two kind yeah. of heroes. Just, I loved how they would be equally, they could equally be the funniest person in the sketch. At the same time, they could also be the 10th executive in the boardroom sketch who right. has one line, but when you cut to them, they nail like, it. God, that's so funny. Yeah. And, uh, and so I made it a point. I, I told Adam, when we all first started, because because there would be this, because uh, you don't know, it's everyone's first job, so people approach it different ways. Some people are uh, a little shy about things. Other people are like, okay, I'm big time now. Yeah. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to deliver the pizza in your sketch. No way. Give it to someone else. And I was like, I'll take any of the pizza boy parts. Yeah. Like, I'll, do, I'll take one line parts. I'll do, I remember getting tons of laughs being an off-camera voice in a, a sketch where they were just playing volleyball on the beach. And I was just of off camera voice that would just intermittently throughout the sketch, just go beach volleyball. <laughs> and the sketch would go on. Yeah. And I go, that's right. Cause it's beach volleyball. <laughs> and I just said it like four times and it would get a laugh every single time. And I thought, Oh, that's, that's something to remember. You don't have to, you know, so carry, you carry the show every single time. Were you watching it during the Belushi Akrod era? I'm trying to remember if I didn't start watching it until yeah. they started doing the reruns. Yeah, on, uh, at like nine o'clock, ten o'clock in the late seventies. That's when I caught up on all that stuff. And from that point on, saw everything. I kind of have probably towards the end of their run. I would have been like eight or not. Maybe yeah. I have some memory. We're pretty much the same age. Yeah, right? yeah. I have some memory of of seeing some of that stuff. But I also got the, were you a member of the Columbia House uh, Records and Tape Club? In the 80s? Yeah. 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 13 albums for uh, a penny. For a penny. Which really was $1.99 because you had to throw in postage and handling. But then you ended up owing like $700 sure. somehow. Eventually. Oh, yeah. It they just kept you. coming after Yeah, it was you. a three-year contract. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, but one of the things I got was a Saturday Night Live album. So I just listened to the sketches on an album. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So Which, I, <clears throat> who would have been the most fun out of all the cast for the for forty plus years? Who would have been the most fun to be in the cast with that didn't overlap with you? Uh, I think Bill Murray. Um, I think. Uh, definitely Aykroyd and Hartman and uh, you know who obviously he's one of the kings but he's still not talked about that much on an SNL level is Eddie Murphy yeah he is by me but a lot of people don't 
bring him up in the way that I think you should. I mean, Eddie. Uh, it's because you have to be in our age range or a little bit yeah. younger to even remember. Or it. you just you just think of Delirious, or you think of the movies. Yeah. You don't. You for some reason you forget that he started, and the fact that he started at eighteen or yeah nineteen. 19 yeah. It's so nuts. So yeah. And was carrying basically carrying the show when he was twenty one. <laughs> Every time he was like the franchise dude. So crazy. So I mean, Eddie Murphy for sure. Yeah. yeah, he was. He's the only cast member I remember that, like, by year two, it was like, oh, yeah. this guy's leaving. But I this also loved. I also loved the season with with Harry Shearer and Billy oh, Crystal, was, and um, that was the Yankees free agent season. Yeah, they yeah. just went out and Crystal Got, and all those people, um, and Chris Gass. Yeah, and, uh, um, that was a good one. Martin Short. What yeah. do you think about now? With like th- this season was really interesting because. I feel like the show is as big as it's ever been right. culturally. Yeah. And yet the cast, you know, they really relied on non-cast members yeah, more than I've a, ever seen. It was, uh, it was, I mean, very fun for the viewers. Yeah. Uh, everything. I thought they, I thought they wrote some really funny stuff, had some great observations, uh, and there were great performances, but it was, it was, you know, you were, cognizant of the fact that like oh you're not watching the cast here yeah Um, it was unorthodox yeah yeah and so i don't know i don't know what that means for next season i don't know and uh and for like someone like alec baldwin is is he is this just who he is though is does he just keep coming back because i know at a certain point he's probably like oh gosh i guess i should go do trump um, right, <laughs> but I have other things I want. I don't know. Like he's kind of on call. In a One way. of the reasons I liked your Bush so much was because it wasn't really Bush. It was the yeah. It was the twist on Bush, yeah. which I think yeah. sometimes the SNL impressions where it's just a dead-on impersonation are right, never the right. best ones. Yeah. What would you do with Trump? Have you thought about that? What would be the? Could you put a twist on him, or is he just? It's so twisted already. You can't even tweak it. I don't know. I mean, I think. Yeah, I, I, everyone kind of, I always, I, I get asked that question about, uh, oh, now I feel like a loser. No, I, no, I ask you a question no. you're getting all the time. That Jesus. I hate. It's oh. the question I hate the most. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I get, I get, I'll, I'll get asked like, what would you do? Like, what would your take on Barack or what would you do yeah. on this? And what would you do? And it's so funny because I don't really view, I review I view kind of those moments of where I did Bush or uh, any sort of impersonation in quotes. Yeah. I'm not really an impressionist. Right. I would just find some weird, I'd find an excuse to do, like there was no reason to start doing Robert Goulet. There's no reason <laughs> right. to do Janet Reno. <laughs> yeah. There's no reason, you know, Bush was topical. Uh, and Harry Carey, like, so I would just find people that I either had a handle on or thought, oh, this would be funny to force the audience to have to watch. <laughs> right. So my long-winded point is I I don't I don't really view myself as someone who was sitting around thinking like, oh, what would be oh, my here's angle? Yeah, 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 I don't even know if I have that skill set where like Daryl Hammond was like a genius at breaking down people and uh, – it seems like haters like that too. When yeah, he picks up some vocal Incredible take or a mimic. voice thing. Incredible, and, and just so, goes. But with Trump, yeah, I mean, I think Alec Baldwin's done to me. Like you, 
exaggerate those those kind of uh, features of his. Uh, but but it's a it's a bizarre impression. Or I I, I don't even know if yeah I don't, I don't know, know what the right word is. Yeah, because of the content of what he's saying, and it's it's so bizarre and damaging that it's not even funny to comment. Or when you comment on it. It was kind of, it was funny during the campaign and now it's, (laughs) now he's running the thing. So, um, and you can't even tell the difference between the, right. Yeah. We forgot the strategy sketch that that murdered in the audience. That murdered. Yeah. That one, that one killed. That one murdered. That was an all time kill. We had a couple of when during the, um, the, the, the runoff, the, the, Missing Chads, all that stuff. Yeah. That period of time, there were some ones that murdered. Like we did a uh, odd couple sketch with Gore and <laughs> yep. Bush. And we did a couple sketches where I would start out giving. <laughs> uh, and I think they used this move, and I don't think they did it knowingly, but where I'd start out giving an address at the Oval Office at the big desk and then Cheney walk in and go, get to your get to your little desk. And I had a little tiny student's desk. <laughs> yeah. the, those things would murder. And, and oh, McKay wrote a soap opera too, like West Palm Beach Nights. Um, but anyway, that, that, those are, that was in the zone. Hey, you did that Lifetime movie. Yeah. You snuck another, it in. Another one of my favorite projects ever. You snuck it in. Nobody knew what was yeah. going on. We were just in Austin. You played it all straight. It. Yep. I've been watching a lot of Lifetime movies mm-hmm. the last six months. Mm-hmm. So my daughter likes them. Okay. And there's it's a safe space, yeah. right? It's it's a horror movie, but it's not really, and it hits the same beats every time. So I'm guessing you just became fascinated by Lifetime movies. Is that what I, happened? I did in not a, because uh, we just, we, we actually just screened the movie in Austin for the Austin uh, Television Festival yeah. last week and had a Q&A afterwards. And someone asked me, like, what's your favorite Lifetime movie? I'm like, oh, I couldn't even tell you. But I would just, you know, channel surfing, stop on Lifetime for 10 minutes, which is all you need to do to stay it's the there. same beats every and time. And pick up the tone. Yeah. And, the, and, and it just it hit me like, oh, it'd be so funny to get a cast of either comedians or, or maybe just one or two and just do a Lifetime movie and play it straight the whole way through. Uh, and that's... That's how it happened. Yeah. It was good. I mean, yeah. it was it was up there with some of the other. And it's really fun to watch it with an weird audience lifetime movies. because they're the first five minutes. They're like, "What the fuck is happening here?" And they're not. <laughs> and then they slowly kind of catch up to it, and then they're laughing like really hard. And then then they're not because they kind of get wrapped up in the story. Yeah. And uh, what was the plot? I only saw it once. The plot was Kristen Wiig. I'm a famous financial book mm. author. Yeah. Best selling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Robert Benson. <laughs> you know, the Robert Benson. Uh, Kristen Wiig is my wife. We have a, a wonderful little daughter named Sully who's a diabetic. And uh, we... Um, something's tense around us yeah and uh uh she suffered we find out that she had a miscarriage with our second child because 
she fell off a crumbling dock that we had. Oh. We live near Storm Lake. Yeah. And the dock crumbled. And I was always like, be careful around the dock. And lo and behold. Dock crumbled. Dock crumbles. Yes. Yeah. Right. My wife's okay, but she loses the baby. Cut to, we decide to house a surrogate who wants to give up her, her um, child. This is. For an adoption. Half of the Lifetime movies yes. involve a surrogate of some kind. We find out later that the surrogate who's living amongst us is actually just a stalker of mine. Yeah. And she's wearing a fake baby bump the whole time. Was and there a concerned friend who was onto her first? Yes. Okay, good. They're, uh, the concerned uh, friend's always the, the best one. The concerned friend who played by uh, this comedian, this guy, Brian uh, um, Safi. Safi, yeah. Who does this show, Throwing Shade, that we did for Funny or Dive. Anyway, Safi plays... Uh, he helps uh, wig with her organic bakery <laughs> kind of uh, roadside stand. And he's kind of like, huh, something's not right here. So he anyway, dies about the one minute, one hour, no, ten minute he, mark? he lasts a long time. Okay. He is murdered execution style, <laughs> which someone brought up. <laughs> and we... We... We find our daughter, our daughter gets abducted at one point. Of course. Everything, everything's fine in the end. Obviously, of course. We're back as one big happy family. I've lightened up. And we do this corny scene. We're dancing for two minutes in the kitchen to this bad song. <laughs> yeah, I remember. And someone in the Q&A was like, you didn't seem any concern. You didn't seem very concerned about the death of your friend <laughs> who got murdered because he went snooping around yeah. their hideout. And we're like, that's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> I go, it was six months later. Maybe we're just past the mourning period. Yeah. But those are kind of the rough, rough beats of deadly adoption. When, when, what year did Funny or Die start? Uh, two, 10 years ago, 2007. And you're still how involved? So what? How involved are you with it now? Uh, I am. Because originally it was you, McKay, Little I have Apatow. I my fingers on the pulse. Okay. Was just you and McKay? Apatow was involved? It was McKay, myself, Chris Henchy. Yeah. And a couple writers, and that was it. And then we kind of started. Then, then Judd kind of came in towards the end of year one, maybe. Yeah. And then, uh, but now it's an army of people. Yeah. And so I don't. And you guys have never, like, you never sold it. You never really did anything with it, no, right? No, we had um, a couple of potential things that never quite happened. Uh, we're now, we have now a partnership with, uh, um, I was about to say Lifetime, uh, with um, IFC. Yeah. So they now have uh, a stake, and if we hurt if we hit certain thresholds that become, that could become a bigger stake. But, uh, but yeah, it's, um, you know, it's kind of, it, it was one of those things where because of the business model where we just were like, come and do something just for shits and giggles and yeah. have a platform where no one's going to tell you what to do or how to do it. Uh, we're not going to pay you. Um, but you're giving them the platform, but we give them platform at the same time that, you know, uh, while it's been a great success story, it's also a hard thing to 
figure out what to do for the next step in a way. Yeah. yeah. How many people do you have? We kind of, we, we did a little bit of doubt, but there's, there's, it, it got really big at one point. Um, but I, I think there's at least 50, 60, 80 people, something around there. Do you walk Lots in? Lots of people I don't. Yeah, you walk no. in every once in a while and just shake some hands, wave. Yeah. Hey, rr. Right. Pass out candy bars. And does anyone want to use my King's tickets tonight? <laughs> so. You still have the King's tickets? I do. I gave them up this year. Really? It's just, the regular it's season hockey is just too much. The 41 games. It's a lot. And it's so easy to get tickets now in the secondary market that I just feel like yeah. anytime I want to go, I'm going to be able to get tickets. I love going. But I know you've done some good scoreboard uh, jumbotron. I've done work. some good jumbotron work, and then yeah. they they um, then they took me down. Did they replace you, or they I just took you down? I don't think they did. They don't have really much jumbotron action happening. But I had a couple nice moments there, and then all of a sudden, so I don't know. I don't know if you know they fired their coach. Who was something I said. Well, they fired their coach, yeah. and his son was the star of the, jumbotron. the of jumbotron. I don't know how they replaced him either. How, yeah, maybe they're going to bring him back. Maybe. <laughs> maybe they need you. Maybe you guys film some more, more stuff more than ever. Yeah. Um, but between yeah, I have like ten to fifteen Laker games a year that I'm. Do your kids care? They they sports fans or not, not really? They, they kind of they. They care, but then it's always on a weeknight, so it's hard to... Yeah, yeah, once the homework starts. I'm always jealous of... Yeah. I can't believe... My son's finally getting into baseball. Right. But I just... I can't believe my son isn't like this sports freak. I, I really feel like the yeah. iPad ruined it for me. <laughs> once they it once is. they have the iPad and they can just like go this, call up YouTube clips and all this these different things. and the everything. IFI, everything. It's like, why is he going to sit through a baseball game, a basketball it's game, like, anything? I was thinking of just how much basketball has changed in the sense of the way the game is played. Yeah. And like, if I'm playing in a pickup game, I still run down to the block. Right. And post up. Old school. Because I was, that's what I did in high school. And uh, I was trying to teach my 10-year-old, who's really big for his size, like, yeah. that's all you have to do. And he's like, uh-huh. Gets the ball, immediately goes to the three-point line. Right. And launches it. That's every big guy <laughs> coming into college now. And then I start now. Now I'm like, oh gosh, will that have a revival? Will someone start playing more? Will there be some revolutionary new coach who's like, I want two guys down on the block? Yeah, we're pounding them down though. Wow. Or or is that gone now? Because guys just have to run and defend. And the problem is because of AAU and. Yeah, all these games that these kids play. If you're the big guy who's in the low post and you're not getting the ball because the point everyone then, on the perimeter and they just freeze like, you out. Why? Why do I yeah. want to play? So you're gonna start shooting threes. <laughs> that's the one way to get shots off, right. and that's it. It's a bummer. So yeah, I, I miss the old but school yeah, Mikhail type this of YouTube and is ruining a lot of things. What? What? Oh, if this phone, not YouTube, but this thing right yeah, here. Yeah, that thing. I'm holding He's up holding an, iPhone an iPhone for the listeners. What about your kids having Will Ferrell as their dad? What have uh, been some of the landmines with that one? They are, we've, we've done, we've made a concerted effort to kind of not really talk about what their dad does so much as yeah. it is just 
uh, it's a job. It's a really fun job. Uh, I get to do some crazy stuff. But they kind of have, I don't know, I think it's just growing up, seeing, occasionally seeing me on a poster, you know, on Fairfax driving to school. Yeah. Has been this slow integration of like, oh, yeah, there's dad. And, um, you know, occasionally getting to visit a set and see what I do and see the mechanics behind it and that uh, they're definitely slow workmanlike parts to it. And, and the fact that I've never coerced them to watch anything I do. Yeah. And, you know, like I was just laughing today. One of the boys were like, dad, what's your, or what do you do? Are, are you, what are you doing today? And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I'm just doing, I'm doing some press. I didn't even dawn on me to say, Oh, I'm going to do a pre-tape with Drake and yeah. DeMar DeRozan. DeRozan. A, cause I don't know if they even know who DeMar DeRozan is, but like, Drake, like I don't know who Drake is. And they'll be so mad at me that I forgot to tell them, Drake, why, why, why couldn't we come? And then Bill Simmons, forget it. Oh, yeah. I mean, me yeah. and Drake were I didn't want to rivals for a long time. With these three kids just yeah, staring yeah, at seriously, you. Yeah, seriously, that would have been really awkward yeah. for me. Yeah. With tons of things for you to sign. <laughs> Is the 13-year-old a boy or a girl? He's a boy. There are three boys. Okay. So what changes anyway, at 13? They all kind of take it in stride. I think, yeah. uh, but I've caught them in moments kind of like, yeah, Wilfred was my dad. Just so you know. Like, <laughs> so when they need to play that card, yeah. they'll they'll be like, yeah. But the older boy, last he's at a new school this year. He just started seventh grade. And when we were touring the school, doing the touring of all the schools, we saw him take his name tag off. He didn't want, he noticed kids tr- treated him differently if they saw it was uh, oh, Farrell as last name. And he just wanted to be, you know, approached as a he's who's robert benson he's robert, <laughs> he's robert benson he's uh, a acclaimed business book author business, there, robert benson the way, jr another insane scene yeah in the lifetime movie is the flashback of where i'm piecing it together that i've met this woman before and i have a flashback to a crazy after party at one of my book signings oh, yeah. where it's like, like those disco happen. lights and we're kind of hammered and then we, yeah. she takes me into the rainy alley behind a bar and we start making out. Mm. You know, it's a sordid world of financial book authors. What happens in seventh grade, age 13? What should I be ready for? What sh- who, how's your, old is your Sit, oldest? My daughter's six, sixth grade, age 12. Well, they're, they're, people in our class are fake dating now. Like wow. they start texting and it's like, okay. oh, they're dating. It's like, have they been on date? No, yeah. but they're dating. It's all confusing. I don't yeah. Care. Well, for the boy, I, it's pretty much it's the typical thing of like Snapchat. It's Snapchat. Yeah, Snapchat was a big deal to get, and then he now I, it feels I like Instagram is kind of. I don't really feel like he's it. talking. About, he's talking yeah. about it so much. Um. Well, it'll be the the bar the bar and bat mitzvah tour next year. Oh yeah, yeah. There's schedules he's for been it and to stuff. Like, 20 of them this yeah. year. Yeah. Just same suit every time, or did you so, buy him like three no, suits? No, he mixes it up. Yeah. yeah. But then there's a lot of like, um, do you want to go to so and so's parent is asking me, are you going to go? Yeah, 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 yeah. Come to the day of. Let's get ready. What? You got to go to so and so's Bart Mitzvah. Oh. <sighs> I barely know him. Why did you say yes then? You got invited. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Yeah, a lot, lot of negotiating next year. A lot of negotiating, okay. But see, girls are different. You might already be... Age 12 is a lot of exasperation, which really breaks my heart. It yeah. started like four or five months ago. And yeah. I'm just exasperating now. I used okay. to be like her favorite person. Now I'm oh, just, yeah. just exasperated. Well, that'll get... Dad, Jesus, it. dad. No. You're going to get the Heisman constantly. Yeah, like, it's going to hurt my feelings. Drop them off. Also, too, I don't know what school you guys go, you're at right now, but that, that whole elementary school vibe of be super involved in your kid's school and yeah. the next school, they're like, drop them off and just leave. And send, us, and send us a check when yes. we ask you for money. A healthy check. Yeah. Yeah. Drop them off, that's it. Drop them off. So it's going to be, it's a huge point of separation. Yeah. I, my daughter plays soccer, so I have her trapped in the car a lot, driving to games, which okay. is good. Yeah. Because you get them trapped, eventually you can break this? them down. All the time? I take it when we drive. See, like, give good me for it. you. Yeah. Because I'm going to make you talk. Then I find out all the gossip, the sixth grade gossip, which is very important. See, I can't get any... You can't get gossip. Out of, out the boys are out of the boy. Yeah, the boys are rocks. The so girls will break. The boys won't say anything. I have to ask strategic questions like, hey, I forgot to ask you. Yeah. Remember how you said, whatever happened with the thing about the thing? Oh, well, you see, and then I can get him. <laughs> right. It's my little trick. Right. Otherwise, anything going on with your friends? No, nothing. There, it, he's, yeah. Your son's probably just, he's two years away from just dying for you to be working late at the set. Right. <laughs> But he's uh, already. Dad's, dad's in, filming something in Canada this weekend, yeah. and my mom's out party. Oh my gosh, that's happening. Yeah, he's already lobbying to be left alone at the house. Yeah. Well, what's the age to do that? I don't know. It, right? There's no handbook anymore. What's the age to put your kid in an Uber? Because I'm, I'm the exact wrong person to ask. Yeah, I was, me too. I was a latchkey kid. I was letting myself in. Me too. And making my own snack. That was our era, though. We were like the Kramer versus Kramer era. Turning on Bonanza <laughs> right. with my PBJ in fourth grade with Karen, the neighbor, checking on me. Right. <laughs> Making your yeah. Stouffer's macaroni and right. cheese in the microwave. Right. Yeah. That was our generation. There's 20 bucks in the pot. Take your brother, walk down to Carl's Jr. for dinner tonight. Yeah. So. You know who ruined that? Child molesters and murderers. <laughs> It was and all fun and games. Amber Alert. Yeah, yes. Amber Alerts. It was yeah. all fun and games yeah, until yeah, they yeah. started until grabbing they those children. Really found a voice. <laughs> yeah, I was sixth grade, seventh grade. I was alone every day from like two to six. Isn't that crazy Just to think about? Got myself home, did everything, that had the key. Never be, you would be chastised for that. Oh, you'd yeah. be the worst parent yeah. of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Now I think we're too overprotective the other way. I think there's probably some sort of a middle ground that's closer to. That's why we. Uh, Every summer we go away to Sweden. Not for that reason. <laughs> we, have, we have a connection. <laughs> My wife's Swedish. So we have a place yeah. there. And we're in the middle of nowhere. And it's literally, they get to, they get autonomy. They get right. to go. We're waiting for that other shoe to drop where the older guy's like, why can't I stay here with my friends? But he really loves it. That, like they get to go ride their bikes. They get to just go. And we're like, Go for it. Well, pretty soon he's going to like the uh, the woman if he doesn't already. I was, I was I'm like, going to guess there's why, some Swedish that's ladies. Why I'm like, Keep up the Swedish, because because my wife speaks Swedish too. And I'm like, you yeah. guys are going to be the LA, California that. kids who speak English and Swedish. Oh my god, forget it. That's great. Yeah, our era was. <laughs> Is that good parenting? Our era was you'd go to the forget it kid. <laughs> Game over. A lot of my parenting, I'd just give in that voice. 
kind of like a Jimmy Dude. the Greek type voice. Jimmy the Greek. <laughs> yeah, our era, you just went through the dump. <laughs> went through the dump to see if that anybody throw up Playboys. And that's how we entertained so ourselves funny. for two hours. I can't believe we all the We had a place called The Jumps. Now. The Jumps? It was an undeveloped piece of land that had bike jumps for oh, kids yeah, riding yeah. their bikes. Okay. So like, Mom, I'm going to The Jumps. But it was a good quarter mile away. It wasn't close yeah. by. Nobody had to. You're just going to yeah. leave. You just your parents hoped you came I back. I ran away once. I was so mad at my mom. I ran away for what I thought was an eternity. Yeah. I just ran to the end of our apartment complex. But I, I, uh, I purposely and aggressively packed a backpack full of clothes in front of her. <laughs> Later, I realized she didn't notice. Yeah, and and stomped out and was gone for what I thought was like. I thought I was gone the whole day. It now was, it'd be an Amber Alert. Well, it was probably two. It was probably just a couple hours. I came back and my mom was like, "Oh, hi, honey, where were you?" Like I ran away. Okay, <laughs> it's like, oh, sorry, I didn't notice. But so the house, yes, coming out Friday. Friday. How much press are you doing? Coming out Friday, June 30th, Friday. June 30th, Friday? Yeah. I thought it was this Friday. No. June we're, 30th, Friday? We're on Friday. the early. We're, we're, That's good. Yeah. You avoid? Well. Do you avoid? What, do, what are we up against? No, Despicable that's a good weekend. me, too? No. Three. Three. Stop it. Come on. Yeah. That's different. It's, it's despicable. And then there's some other movie, I think, with that Jamie Foxx, something about the baby. Baby driver. Oh, baby yeah. Driver. They've been... I think you'll be fine. Baby driver's... Looks like one of those cult hit. Cult hit. Yeah. So you have to do you when you have these movies, do you do you decide how much press you're gonna do or do they tell you? They tell you. Yeah. And then you kinda Even now they then you kinda decide. <laughs> Cause you do you want to support the movie. Yeah. You want to play ball. I mean it's it's kind of the it's that one component of the business where you're like, okay. I got to go do it. Um, you try to make it as pleasurable as possible. But I have, from what the, the amount of stuff I used to do, I've been able now to kind of yeah. scale it down slightly. All right. Will Ferrell. Uh, I'm glad we finally did I this. I know. This was such a pleasure. Do you want, last question, do you want yeah. Lonzo Ball or not? Because you get LeVar Ball too. You get, both, you get See, the whole Ball saying. family. And... I'm, the the biggest question is is that problematic in the pro game, or not at all? It's fine. It's fine, right? I would take Lonzo. Would you? I would. I would. Over the kid from Kentucky. I would take Lonzo. Okay. I think he has the highest ceiling. I'm thinking that he's got the way he sees the court. Yeah, it's is special. pretty incredible. It's special. And but it'll also a lot of it depend on who his teammates are and what yeah, his situation is completely. and if he's. Him with D'Angelo Russell seems like a strange combo to me, but... They'll have to figure out. They're so guard-heavy. Yeah. They'll have to figure something out. And also, too, is um, is Ingram. Yeah, what is he? Is it? he for real? Is he's, he... like, he's like a year older than your son. I know. Yeah. And so that's a hard know? one to figure out. 6'11", 120 pounds. But if he can kind of... I think you're in good shape. I think LeBron's coming in a year and everybody will be happy. That's I think what, that's happening. Really? I do. I do. I wouldn't bet my life on it, yeah. but I think it's in play. 
We'll know more this summer by what, what kind of moves I finally they make. met LeBron. Yeah. Uh, a month ago, a couple months ago. And I told him he should think about running for president. What did he say? He just laughed. <laughs> yeah. I said, thank you. I appreciate it. I thought he would have said, like, I can't beat The Rock. I don't, nobody's going to beat that guy. But I just said, look, I have to say something to you. I was talking to my wife, but I had an epiphany. <laughs> you need to start thinking about running for president. President LeBron. You're articulate. You're from Cle- You're from the Midwest. Yeah. You know the plight of the forgotten yep. Rust Belt. And you're incredibly popular. And you have a huge social media presence, yes. which seems to be the most important <laughs> thing now. And most importantly, yeah. you have a massive social media you're presence. You're big on Instagram, <laughs> which is now the number one determining factor. Yeah. Isn't it funny with all the Trump stuff, all the pundits you watch who talk about every various issue? Yeah. There's, I've seen 20 to 30 to 50 people who all would do a better job. There, there's just so many smart people out there. Yeah. And you listen to them talk. Anyway. These two guys voted for Trump, I can tell. I don't even think they're allowed to <laughs> vote yet. <laughs> All right, Will Farrell. Right. I'm Thanks, glad we Bill. finally Thank did you. this. So that great. was great. Thank you. All right. All right.